what we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome in to episode 84 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stadman. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend Angelo Lisa as we rewatch, we live in a memory different wrestling pay per view every single week. And this week, we are revisiting a, a, a time in WWE that it was like super interesting for me to relive. We are going back to mid 2007. WWE One Night Stand 2007. Uh, we are, you know, we have the three brands going on, we have the revived ECW featuring very heavily and some big angles that we remember you know from our childhoods angelo we've got you know the bobby lashley vince mcmahon showdown we've got great Kali in the main events we've got batista versus edge we've got you know some of our classic faves and revisiting you know some of that wwe ecw shit that sucked but some of it was cool when you were 12 Yes. You know what I mean? It was like, it was branded especially to kids, I think. I think that was kind of like their whole thing. Like, we're just going to go with the ECW. We're going to make it like the kids are going to love it. It's all extreme rules. It's going to have a lot of violence. It's going to be bloody. It's going to be hardcore. And they have all these matches that are all stipulation matches and about. It's a mixed, it's a very mixed bag. Uh, I have thoughts on the great Kali as a man of enter. We'll get there. But David, I got to say. Work rate classic in the pudding match. The pudding match stole the whole entire show. Let me tell you. I would say that it is arguably one of the best pudding matches I've ever seen. <laughs> it's up there. It's definitely top three. It's I definitely. Think I've seen, I, I've seen like, around three. No. It's definitely like one of the 10 to 15 best pudding matches to ever happen in wrestling history. It's like top 100. Easy. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about some real elite company. There are actually some matches on the show that I really do like. I mean, I don't want to shit on it all too much. Uh, tag match, fucking rock. Oh, yeah. Tag title match. This is interesting because this is the, I believe, first time that they used the name Extreme Rules mm-hmm. in a pay-per-view. This was officially titled WWE One Night Stand, colon, space, Extreme Rules. I did and notice that. Extreme Rules pay-per-view would basically supplant the one night stand name which makes a lot more sense considering the whole concept of the one night stand was like oh ecw is back for like uh you know a reunion show that we all can come together and watch and reminisce about how much we loved ecw now it's not a one night stand anymore they're on fucking they're on the sci-fi network every (laughs) tuesday night you know putting on these dog shit shows that we hate Oh, God. Uh, it was no longer a one-night stand. It was just a regular fucking pay-per-view. So, CM Punk and Lashley were the only two things good on ECW, and I'm pretty sure Bobby was mostly on Raw anyway at that time. Like, yeah. Because Vin- Vince, you heard the story about Bobby where, I think you actually were the one that told me this, where he's in the Performance Center, or he's still like, or Ohio Valley. Yeah, he uh, was an OVW. And they had to try and hide him from Vince because they're like, if Vince sees him, he's going to call him up right away. We need to yeah. keep, he's still green. I want to. I want to say it was Cornette might have still been running OVW at the time, and he was like, I, I think it might have been him who told the story. He's like, yeah, we had to like try to hide Bobby from this, and then it didn't work. He fucking saw Bobby. Lashley. How do you hide like, Bobby Lashley? 
yeah he was like i want this motherfucker now uh give me my toy yeah like bobby lashley did get better you know in general like mm. he's still very young in his career at this point I, he got called up to wwe main roster with very very little wrestling experience and you know now with some seasoning he's a lot better still not good enough to get a, a good match out of omos but i mean who can yeah who, who possibly could yeah uh, that was not right. that was probably the worst thing about backlash i saw some people saying that match wasn't that bad and i was like really I think you're great. I think they're all ready on the Omos sucked. curve. That shit sucked, bro. It's like maybe it wasn't as bad as you thought it would be, but it was still bad. I do. I do root for Omos, though. I think if he can figure out how to work, the like his potential is through the roof as just a dominant giant. But I, man, is he hard to watch right now? He sucks. I'm sorry. I don't like him. I don't hmm. like watching him. I, you know. The WWE already survived one giant Gonzalez, and now we have a second giant Gonzalez. <laughs> and they both sucked. I mean, that's the what's the weird thing about like, you know, everyone wants a dude who's like super tall. How many dudes who are actually like seven feet tall could work? Like, we're actually like good workers. I think Kane and Taker are like very like the two that immediately come to mind. No, they're because they're not actually seven feet tall. They're I'm talking up about people who are actually seven. No fucking way. Taker, they're maybe like six, seven, six, eight. They're not that fucking tall. I mean, they're tall, obviously, but not like that tall. Like, we're talking about like the dudes who are like that fucking big. You know what yeah. I mean? Never. Fucking never, basically. Big, Sh big Show is like the best one of those like super huge guys. And you know how I feel about Big Show. Yeah. Never been a fan. But we, we digress pretty heavily right now. Uh, it is WWE One Night Stand 2007. Uh, again, a big jumble of, of shit that, uh, I love to remember with some ominous undertones that we will get to, um, and like two good matches, maybe. I two? would say there are three, uh, three? I, I would say three matches that I genuinely enjoyed a four, five that made sense. Actually, I'd say six that made sense, but nothing that was like, oh shit, this is a must watch except for maybe too yeah there's like a couple matches i would like really recommend there's nothing bad. very bad like i can't believe this is on my tv right now well i mean there is you say on a match that has a a card that has a pudding match on. well you know not the pudding we we know the pudding match we've we've seen enough of these where we know our stances on this and how they it is a, it is a genre that they went to quite a bit for a long time but yeah it sounds like we are about ready. Just freaking remember some guys over here. Let's remember the guys, David. Let's remember the guys. So it is June 3rd, 2007. We are in the current home of AEW. We're in Jacksonville, Florida uh, at the Jacksonville Veterans Memorial Arena. We have a crowd of about 7,000 people. Uh, tonight, the only rules are extreme rules it is the first one night stand that is like truly under the wwe banner they had done oh five and they had done oh six that were still like oh six i think by that time they were like setting up what the you know what they were planning on doing with the ecw brand that was when he had rvd become the champion beating john cena but 
they were pretty much, they were both held in Hammerstein ballroom. They were more like straight up the uh, ECW kind of tribute nostalgia shows. This is the first one night stand to basically be just a straight up normal WWE pay-per-view here in 2007. Uh, and yeah, like we said tonight, the only rules are extreme rules. All seven matches basically have some kind of, I believe it's seven matches, have basically some kind of stipulation to them. Um, and we have this, I, I miss having unique stages for wrestling. I've, I've been saying it for years for pay-per-view. Uh, saying it for two years, actually, because this is, and I buried the lead on this, it's like our second anniversary a podcast, pretty much. Yeah, I think the first episode, or actually, no, I know for a fact our first episode was released May 13th. Uh, during the start of the pandemic, we were like, hey, we got nothing better to do. Let's just start a podcast. And I, again, I've gone back to listen to those shows. You sound fine. The intro music, me and Jake, not so much. It has come a long way. Like now when I put up my po- our podcast uh, every week, it sounds good. Like it, it sounds like a real professional podcast. It's like we know what we're doing. So I'm excited. It's been two years. Uh, it's been a blast. This is episode 84. So out of a total of 106 weeks, we've missed 22. I mean, that's about an 80%. That's a passing grade. I'll take it. Yeah, I will too. And holy shit, Jeez. we have like 4,500 listens. Yeah, we've only we've only lost one host in that time. That, that's also true. <laughs> only dropped one host. But yeah, Um Think about As how I've long been, we did podcasts at U92 when we got maybe a combined 100 listens in three years. But as I've been saying for the last two years that we've been doing this fucking podcast, uh, I miss having unique uh, like pay-per-view stages. Uh, we have a very, it's not a ECW pay-per-view per se, but they have a very ECW kind of motif. They have like the brick, well, the stage is kind of like a brick wall that's covered in weapons and barbed wire. It's a very ECW type motif here. For extreme rules, one night stand. And in the main event, we have a false count anywhere. We have three world titles on the line because we had three world titles at the time. Uh, false count anywhere title match between John Cena and Kali in the main event. We also have Edge and Batista in a steel cage for the World Heavyweight Championship. And do-rag Vince McMahon defending the ECW title in a street fight with a young uh, lad named Bobbert Lashley. Uh, Three different uh, commentary desks for the three brands, Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross on Raw, Michael Cole and JBL for SmackDown, and for the ECW matches, we have Joey Styles and Taz. And we start out with a true ECW original. In the first match, it is a stretcher match between Randy Orton, still coming out to his old theme, the Burn in My Light theme, taking on the great Rob Van Dam. Uh, and it is a stretcher match, the meaning of which is I feel like there's been different types of stretcher matches in the past. Um, like, like it sometimes, like, you have to wheel them like out of the arena, basically, or like wheel them like onto like an ambulance or whatever. I guess. I guess the ambulance match is technically a different type of match. We have so many stupid fucking gimmick matches in pro wrestling. <laughs> when um, was the last stretcher match we had? I don't remember. Like on this show? I think in general. I, I don't think we've had one. We might have not had one on the show because it's not a genre match that frequently gets done. No, it's not. I, I actually don't know if we had a stretcher match on the show before. 
but um, in this case, uh, you ha- you can only win by putting the other guy on a stretcher, like strapping them to the stretcher and then wheeling them like up the ramp across this sort of like finish line that they have like taped onto the ramp, which is kind of goofy. Uh, But it ends up being a relatively fun match. I think Uh, RVD and Randy Orton here. So this is an article I found real quick from 2021 before you get into the match. It is from May, 2021. So it is pretty recent relatively. It appeared, and they ranked all, every stretcher match in WWE history ranked. There's only been seven. Uh, it looks like the last one was in 2014, Kane versus John Cena. Interesting. Yeah, I was I was doing some research, uh, actually, like, while this was going on about, like, the history of the stretcher match. It appears that it is a WWF original, the first recorded stretcher match, at least according to the cage match database, which is probably the most complete one that you can find in, in on the internet. The first recorded stretcher match was in the Philadelphia Spectrum, 1967, Bruno San Martino and Gorilla Monsoon. Wow. The earliest recorded stretcher match. I'd want to yeah, watch that, actually. I, I don't know. It might. It's pretty, like... It's pretty like uh, I, I've looked back at like what stuff they have from like way back then on the WWE Network. It's like pretty sparing. Like it's it's pretty like there's not that much that they have. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, that would be kind of interesting to watch. But yeah, the uh, last WWE one they haven't done one since 2014. Yeah, it was John Cena and Kane on a random episode of Raw. Uh, the most recent televised stretcher match at all in the United States was impact hardcore justice, 2015 Kurt angle and Eric young in a stretcher. match. That was probably okay too. I don't know. Probably suck. Honestly, uh, RVD, Randy Orton though. This is, this is relatively fun match. You know, I love, we, we love RVD, um, RVD. I, I love the start to this match. Like he gets in his face. He's about to do the RVD like taunt, but as he's about to go Dam and Rob Van Dam, he instead just like crescent kicks him in the face. Uh, he gets a really hot start. He does like a bunch of cool moves. It's a slingshot uh, leg drop onto the apron. Um, eventually, uh, Orton starts like so. The like, I feel like the the main story about this match is like Randy Orton attacking Rob Van Dam CTE. You know, it's like he cusses <laughs> we talked about he, this. He hits him with like a big punch right at the beginning of this match. And and afterwards, like basically the whole match, RVD is like selling like he's kind of like got brain trauma going on. Like he's a little wobbly. He can't balance. He's kind of fucked up. Early on in this match, um, RVD tries to go to the top rope, but like sells like his balance is fucked up and he's all glassy eyed. And he as he like goes to the top rope, he ends up flopping all the way off and landing on the floor, uh, just selling like he cannot get balanced. I thought it was an interesting, interesting little, little way to get the cutoff. And then Randy Orton gets the heat for a while. He is really targeting the head. He's hitting RVD in the head a bunch of times. Um, you know, the whole concept of the match is you basically, or at least how they're, the, the, the announcers are putting it over is like, yeah, it makes sense because you're trying to like knock the other guy out so you can put him on the stretcher and wheel him away. So in that case, in that, in that way, it makes a lot of sense. Actually, uh, Orton beats him up for a while. Um, Randy hits a big gut wrench power slam in the ring for a uh, near fall. 
and tries to like roll him out of the ring onto the stretcher. But RVD just like topples right over and like knocks the stretcher over because he just is so fucking out of it. Um, RVD ends up fighting back, but this was a cool spot. He put Orton on the stretcher and hits this like, he's like big 360 leg drop off the apron onto the stretcher and like everything falls to the ground. Thought that looks pretty cool. Uh, hits a slingshot leg drop back into the ring. And this was, I thought, an awesome spot. He goes for the rolling thunder. And as he goes for the, like the, the, the like splash at the end, Orton pops up and hits him with the, the, the snap power slam. I thought that was a really cool fucking spot. Um, RVD drop kicks him off the apron, lands on the floor. He puts Orton on the stretcher. He goes for a huge running somersault leg drop over the top rope, but Orton gets off the stretcher and RVD just crashes and fucking burns off of this move. Orton ends up putting him on the stretcher. He starts to slowly wheel him up the ramp. He's almost there, but then at the last second, RVD is able to, you know, get back into it. He fights back and he waffles Randy Orton with a big kick to the head. And he's able to put Randy on the stretcher and just get him over the finish line. Randy Orton did like 90% of the work, but RVD is able to turn it around at the last second and vulture this win. RVD wins the stretcher match 14 minutes and 31 seconds afterwards. Randy attacks him. He does the legend killer punt against the post. And then he hits the vintage Orton draping DDT off the barricade onto the floor. Robert Van Dam has died and the paramedics take him away to inter him in the cemetery. I do really enjoy the fact that they gave RVD like a very clever win, but Orin still stood tall because it's, it's the whole thing we talk about with giving both guys the rub. You want both guys to look better after a match as often as you can. And this was a great way to do it. RVD has the guile to kind of be clever and get Randy onto the stretcher for a brief moment of time and push him across the uh, finish line, which is like all he needed to do. And then Oren, you know, being the psycho killer that he was back then, uh, decides to put RVD literally through hell. I, I really did enjoy that. I-, I will say, though, there were moments where I felt borderline uncomfortable because of how well RVD sells having a concussion, which is a weird yeah. skill to have. But until you watch a Gargano match, who also sells a concussion very well, like we just had him uh, facing uh, Andrade, where he does the concussion sell pretty much, where he just has that glazed look in his eyes. The difference is in 07, the uh, health and wellness practices being enforced at WWE at that time are a very different card than what are being currently enforced today in 2022. So there is a chance that even if RVD was just selling NCT, there was probably still a chance he had a concussion. Oh, RVD absolutely has CTE. (laughs) I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. Um, Now... That might be why he sp- one of the reasons why he smoked so much weed because apparently that's good for your brain. Like mm-hmm. if you have like head trauma, so uh, fucking whatever works for you, my guy. I mean, he was still you know working like right at the start of the pandemic too. With an he's he's uh, he's about to go do a tour of pro wrestling. Noah, <laughs> so okay. he's like still fucking doing shit, man. God bless he's still wrestling. Uh, Randy Orton, picture perfect dropkick, man. Like the guy. Uh, it's again a small thing, but like early Randy Orton dropkicks were just. Uh, in its sight, we, uh, who'd you say also had to go from New Japan to Okada? What was that? Who'd you say from New Japan has like a picture perfect dropkick? Oh, Okada, the yeah. Okada dropkicks, fucking all time. Yeah. Again, I would, I need to see a Randy Okada match. I know it's never going to happen, but that's one that's like high on my list of dream matches. 
for whatever mm. reason, I can't disconnect RVD from like how they bill Stan Lane, Sweet Feet Stan Lane. Because RVD uh, has the kicks to actually look good, whereas Stan Lane's kicks kind of look like, I don't know, they don't do it for me. But RVD's kicks make a ton of sense because they're not martial art kicks. They're just like very much action movie kicks, but they're actually like really cool and they'll feel corny. So again, fun match, made sense with the ending. I do wish there was more of a pay-per-view moment throughout the match. I guess the whole pay-per-view moment is the beatdown on RVD with the punt. But, you know, there have been worse things on the show and this was fine. Yeah, this was this was like the era where I feel like they really started putting over the legend killer aspect very hard. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, like he had he had done the punt to Michaels and he had done the punt to I think maybe Flair by this point. And he does the punt. The punt against the fucking uh, post looks like it should be fucking devastating. Uh, where does the punt really, rank in terms of devastating like moves? I mean, I feel like it's up there just because like, you know, like. In, in, in like a naughty a non kayfabe sense it's like you know the absolute fucking brain damage you can do with that mm-hmm. like he's just you're just literally winding up and punting a guy's fucking head like that is like legitimately like like that that move is like banned in mma you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that is that is like we we would know like obviously how fucking devastating a fucking move that would be so that's like up there for me in terms of like just like all time nasty finishers up there with as, as well, like the curb stomp. Cause like, oh, I, yeah. I know if you don't like kayfabe, the curb stomp, you could kill somebody. So it's <laughs> like, those are some of my favorite finishers where it's like, yeah, if we didn't kayfabe this, the other person would be dead. It's you also, know what I mean? It's also why I like the DDT. I know it gets used a lot more now, but like the DDT in itself, you're literally just planting someone's head into the floor. Yeah. The, the concept of a DDT is, is yeah, it's a devastating maneuver. You know, yeah, you were literally just sticking someone's head straight into the ground, which like, yeah. Uh, So Randy Orton with the punt, hell of a finisher, you know, and this is this is again, when he's doing the legend killer run, getting a lot of heat from a from a young David Statman here, just getting a ton of heat. How dare he not respect the legends? They're old people. You don't hurt the old people. It's not he's hurt. He's just going out here. He's going to kill the elderly. Uh, <laughs> this is weird though because like I just looked it up. I, I again I've been looking at the history of stretcher matches. WWE around this time, I guess Vince had like a thing for stretcher matches. Within a year, they have three different stretcher matches on pay per view. This being the first one. A few months later, at Cyber Sunday, they did Rey Mysterio versus Finley in a stretcher match, and then at the next year's One Night Stand, they did a stretcher match between Shawn Michaels and Batista. Hmm. And then they never did one on pay-per-view again. I do like the stretcher, though, as a prop. I, I They haven't really capitalized on it. Like, because, again, stretcher matches are never that good. But I love the stretcher as a prop because it just – it has that, like, striking image. And I think the sounds you get when you, like, bounce someone off of it, it's just really iconic. Yeah. It's just, this is a fun little match, though. And, you know, I, I just love – I love watching RVD. One of my favorite just – one of my favorite move sets of all time is RVD. And at this point, 2007, you know, not that he's bad today, but when he's like still, you know, like young and limber and he can fucking fly around and do shit, you know, just few, few guys who are as fun to watch in the ring. And again, just a guy who had a, a move set that was so unique. Like you do not see anyone else really wrestle like RVD did. Real life action hero, man. Yeah, he was so friggin' cool. 
but yeah, pretty, pretty decent little match here for being a, for being a weird gimmick. Uh, and then you get the, the big beat down after to put over Randy Orton as evil guy. He hasn't, he hasn't gotten, he hasn't like shaved his head, like given himself like the super like fucking, you know, like skinhead haircut oh my God, skin and made himself Orton. just look like the most evil man in history. Hasn't done that yet, but we are getting there. We still, he's still slightly puffy young Orton by this point. Um, next up, we have this little backstage vignette with uh, Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon. As we get ready, it's going to be Vince taking on Bobby Lashley in a street fight, defending East Tennessee title. Uh, Vince and Shane are backstage just uh, healing it up. Um, Vince says, you know, tonight we're going to end Bobby Lashley. It's his last stand at one night stand. But, and this is a little foreshadowing, Vince says something about, you know, I, I meanwhile, though, I, I have this kind of annoying feeling, like this premonition that something really, really bad is about to happen. I don't know what it is. And Shane's like, listen, man, don't worry about it. You've got me with you. You've got Umaga, the Samoan bulldozer at your side. Everything's going to be all right, Vince. Everything's going to be just fine. And of course, if you remember talking about the the horrible thing that's about to happen to Vince McMahon, if you remember 2007, you know exactly what I'm fucking talking about. Uh, (laughs) Just like all sorts of curse. Just man, like this. I I couldn't when they saw it. I'm like, oh, my God, this is this time because, man, like that angle was weird to start. And then obviously, if if you're wondering what's happening, 2007, June, uh, Chris Benoit. Yes. Everything that happened with Chris Benoit, and he's actually on the card. He'll be up yes. later. I feel like we in should about get this three, out. In about three weeks' time, what is going to happen? Oh, uh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. It, we've talked about it before. In fact, we've had a lot of early episodes on it. Man, it's just one, Vince doing a death angle. How is that ever going to play out? And then two, I mean, it, the Benoit thing, I, if you haven't watched Dark Side of the Ring on the Benoit story, highly recommend. I think they do a great job covering it and talking about it. Uh, they do mention uh, Nancy Benoit's sister and then Chris Benoit's surviving son. Uh, they might have had some issues afterwards. Like, I think there were some, like, rumors that they weren't entirely pleased with how it went down. But the Dark Side of the Ring, I think, does do a better job describing it than we could. <laughs> yeah. We will see a little later on uh, Chris Benoit's final appearance on a on a pay per view in his lifetime. Um, it's, it's it's a relatively brief one, but he is there. Uh, and yeah, of course, this is the lead in as as we sort of hinted at. Yes, the Vince McMahon limo explosion angle on Raw, which happened a few weeks later, like I think two weeks later, mm-hmm. like two weeks later on Raw, or a week later on Raw from this. Um, it wasn't the night after, but it was like a week or two after they did the explosion angle. And then obviously the, uh, the Benoit thing that caused them to abandon that angle, but that's what they're setting up here. And yeah, we were talking about it before the show. Uh, I, I feel like I've never found out or never, like, I don't know if there's been any interviews given on this or like any articles written about it, like what the end game of the explosion angle was supposed to be. Like if, if Chris Benoit never fucking, you know, does what he does and they play that angle out into conclusion, where would that have gone? I like have, I have two ideas. One, Vince goes over God a second time. He's like, I can't die. God, you can't take me. You can't smite me down. 
or two, he gets ritualistically summoned by Umaga with some dark arts, uh, racially insensitive storyline where Umaga is like some kind of witch doctor. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, I I have no idea. Also, but- other thing that we discovered doing some quick research, they have completely scrubbed the Benoit Memorial Show from all existence. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, yeah, because they they at, at, on June twenty fifth, the day after, I, I think it was the day after uh, his death, which happened on like the same day as the, the pay per view that he no showed. I think it was Cyber Sunday. That's that he right. no showed. Um, yeah, he uh, all ev- all that everyone knew was that Chris Benoit had had died an untimely death. They didn't know the circumstance yet. So yeah. It was going to be like a three-hour tribute raw for the Mr. McMahon character because he had just in kayfabe died, and instead they had did a real tribute show for Chris Benoit, and then right after that they found out that oh no, he actually uh, did something horrible. Uh, so I, we, we were looking it up on the WWE Network or on Peacock, right? Same thing, I guess. Um, they have a completely different episode. That like has replaced the Benoit episode where it's just like Todd Grisham in the studio, like, hey guys, we've had some great matches so far this year in 2007. Let's watch some of the best ones. And that's it. It's just like it's instead of like the entire Benoit tribute show, which is just not anywhere. And it's Night of Champions, too. So like that, it w- that's the pay-per-view that Night was. Of Champions, ahead. That's what it was. And I remember this vividly now because I think I had this magazine where they have the poster art on the cover where it's Lashley, Edge, and uh, Cena all holding their world titles. You know, it was supposed to be Benoit versus Punk for a vacant ECW championship. Yeah, we were supposed to get a CM Punk versus Chris Benoit match. That was supposed to actually happen. Yeah. But instead, the universe went a different direction. Apparently, somebody has uploaded onto Vimeo the first half of the Chris Benoit tribute Raw, but never uploaded the second half. So I don't know if that if, if you want to watch it, you can find that anywhere on the internet. It is a it is a lost wrestling show. To punctuate uh, this, who replaced Benoit in that match? It was Johnny Nitro. Yes, it was. I remember that. I remember that much. We will see a little bit of Johnny Nitro later on. And speaking of ECW, WWE ECW, after this this very foreboding little segment here that in retrospect is a lot, a lot more dramatic than uh than it probably was at the time. We have a six-man tag tables match. We had the, this is back when we had the ECW Originals versus New Breed feud going on at ECW. I'm sure you all remember that old friggin' chestnut. Um, I remember it with surprising detail, actually. I don't know why I remember it so well. Um, It is ECW Originals versus New Breed. The ECW Originals team comprised of the Sandman, who walks out, he does his Sandman entrance to like the shitty WWE like uh, knockoff Enter Sandman theme. Um, you know, bashes his face with a beer can in classic Sandman fashion. He is already bleeding when the match starts. He is with Tommy Dreamer and a young man by the name of CM Punk coming out to his better WWE theme, This Fire Burns by Kill Switch Engage. I will die on that fucking hill. That's a better song. That's a better theme than Cult of Personality always has been. They are facing the new breed faction of Matt Stryker, Elijah Burke, and one of my personal faves, the alpha male Monty Brown, uh, going under his WWE name of Marcus Corvan, but it was the same gimmick that he used in TNA. One of my all-time like 
should have been a fucking superstar guy. This guy was so fucking cool in every single way that you can be cool. Um, this is a pretty quick match, but there's a lot of action smashed into this about seven minute long match. Uh, heels uh, get the heat on Tommy Dreamer uh, early on, but then he's able to tag in Sandman. We get Punk in there and they all just start doing a bunch of moves. Uh, Punk and Sandman do like a side, a side slam guillotine leg drop combo on uh, Striker. And then they do the uh, classic uh, get the tables, a little tribute to the Dudley boys. Um, Punk looks great in this match. He hits a big suicide dive on uh, Alpha Male. He hits a springboard clothesline to Elijah Burke. Did like this spot. Sandman and Dreamer trying to finish the match early on by uh, suplexing Matt Stryker onto the floor. Like, there's a table set up uh, out on the floor, ringside. They're going to do a double suplex through the table. But uh, Alpha Male and Elijah Burke move the table out of the way so he just gets suplexed onto the floor. And then they run over and stomp him down. Uh, Burke does, uh, they get the heat for a little while. Uh, Elijah Burke did this. He had this cool move that he used to do where he does the like the up and over in the corner and hangs there and then drops an elbow like out of that on punk, which I th- think is so fucking cool. Um, and uh, they set up a table in the corner. They're going to toss punk through, but the uh, OGs uh, Sandman and dreamer are able to save punk from going through. Uh, Sandman takes a fucking uh, scary ass bump where he's going to go up to superplex striker and they throws him onto the floor, like hits the barricade. I would never want to do that. Uh, Dreamer hits a big sky high on Matt Stryker. We get a bunch of moves from everybody getting into the ring and all hitting moves. Uh, Monty Brown hits a fucking enormous power bomb on uh, CM Punk. Goes up to do a moonsault, but Sandman hits him with the Singapore cane. He falls back into the ring. Tommy hits a spike pile driver on Elijah Burke, and then they put Burke onto a table set up in the ring, and CM Punk goes up, superplexes Matt Stryker off the top rope, Onto Elijah Burke, and both guys go through the table to win the match for the babyfaces in seven minutes and 18 seconds. Again, pretty short, but a lot of stuff crammed into this uh, short time frame that I thought was pretty entertaining. It was okay. I thought it was like a little bit of a mess and hard to follow, but like there's enough moments there for each of these guys that makes it worthwhile. Striker kind of comes off as a jamoke for me, but there is like some evidence of him being somebody who thinks smarter, not harder. Like he's kind of like that kind of crafty, shifty heel. But Burke and Corvon, man, they looked really good too. In addition to obviously the guy who's across from them, CM Punk. But Corvon, like that that powerbomb elbow, like where he's got them, uh, I think in like a body press, and he literally like flips him up and do the powerbomb. It's just looks like money, smells like money. Like Corvon, man, he was cool. Uh, Monty Burke, Brown. Monty Brown was one of the most looks like money, smells like money guys of the early mid two thousands. Burke and then his career, his career just kind of ended. Burke was a great, like, believable leader. Yeah, that he did have that natural charisma. You mentioned the uh, elbow he did in the corner. I called it a Vader bomb elbow. Super cool, super unique. And obviously, you have the 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 legend across from them. Well, you have three legends: Punk, uh, Dreamer and Salmon doing a great job of giving credence to Punk, uh, doing the get the table spot to kind of like. No, that's a great way to get a guy over and give a young guy the rub. What level, power level, is Lip Ring Punk? Lip Ring Punk? I mean, that is that is an extremely high power level. That's very, very high level. Because that's like, now, like the highest power level punk of all time is 
long bleach blonde hair lip ring punk from ROH. That is the highest power level we ever got. Wearing wearing the basketball shorts. Oh my god! Highest level, highest level, highest power level punk. There I still was. have to watch that match with Raven because I've I've gone on YouTube. I found him like here. I'm gonna add this to my watch later. Uh, and then it just yeah, the, disappears. The dog collar match, right? Yes. Yeah. One of the best dog collar. And CM Punk has arguably been in the two best dog collar matches of like the century. Now, now Cody Rhodes and Brody Lee is also very high on the list as well. Mm-hmm. But CM Punk, you know, I, I miss when like individual guys had gimmick matches that were like their gimmick match. Like Kane had the Inferno match. Take Mankind had the Buried Alive match. Yeah, Undertaker had the very live match. Mankind had the Boiler Room Brawl match. We don't have, like, individual people who have their own gimmick match anymore. I say the dog collar match should be made CM Punk's honorary gimmick match because he's been in, like, two of the best ones. And also, two like, they, they don't do that match very often. He just happened to be in, the, in two great ones. Idea for you. Braun Breaker should be a dog collar match guy. His dad was the dog-faced gremlin, as we all know. Yes. Yeah. Apparently there's another there's another Steiner. I saw this. Well, there's like another, there's another Steiner, Steiner. Who football who's I guess I think is also Rick's son, maybe, or is he Scott's son? There's another Steiner who plays college football. I watched something with uh Bo- Braun Breaker and the Montez Ford. It was like a little interview show uh that WWE did. He did not mention a brother, he did mention he fishes a lot. I'm I would there's say a- I, I so I don't know if it's his brother or his cousin. We're gonna have to there's get a- research on this. There's another Steiner playing football somewhere in Either college. way, you have popped me with there's another Steiner. And there's apparently another Steiner who's Scott's son who's like going D1 in basketball. Oh. Yeah. He's going to be like, so we got more, we got more. And all these, all these kids are going to like probably not end up being like uh, fucking like pro athletes. So we're going to get more Steiners in wrestling for fucking sure. I need Steiners versus the bloodline. I need we're it gonna now. Get, Injected in my veins. I need Steiners bloodline. We, uh, we're going to get just a legion of fucking Steiners here. A uh, legion of Steiners. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to get the legion of Steiners here. We're going to have a whole Steiner faction. It's going to fucking rock. This is the only thing that can save wrestling is more Steiners. So, yeah, it's going to be fucking sick. Backstage, Randy Orton. Fresh off of his defeat in the stretcher match, he says he, he walks up to Edge, his former partner, now a former partner from Rated RKO. He says, Tonight, two of my former partners are battling it out Edge from Rated RKO, Batista from Evolution. And he says, If you beat Batista and retain your World Heavyweight Championship, and I and the upcoming WWE draft, I end up on SmackDown. You're next, brother. We're going to get the Edge versus Orton title feud. Very excited about that idea. Edge says, if you make it to SmackDown, you'll end up just like Batista's going to end up later on tonight. So next up, okay, uh, let, me run, let me run an idea by you. Tag team title match. We're going to have it be a ladder match. One of those two teams is going to be the Hardy. Sold. Yeah. I think that sounds like a good idea. And the other team has Shelton Benjamin. Oh, yeah. oh fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, it does. Hardy boys, this is the standout match of the night. 
Uh, Hardy Boys versus the world's greatest tag team, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, who I forgot had this second run in WWE where they brought Haas back for a little while. Uh, tag team title, ladder match, Hardy's world's greatest tag team. Uh, a match that just from the fucking you know, guys involved in the stipulation promises to be really good, and it is very fucking entertaining. Uh, a lot of cool spots in this match. Early on, uh, we end up with this like funny standoff where like everyone is holding a ladder and they're all like staring at each other. The Hardys like toss theirs away and they drop kick the ladders into World's Greatest Tags, and so we have all the ladders go clattering around. They do a spot where Charlie Haas gets like squashed in between uh, the corner and like three different ladders, and then Shelton gets whipped into this fucking uh, like stack of shit. And um, Jeff does whisper in the wind into literally all of it. Um, and then they throw all the ladders on Shelton. I love that. Just complete ladder carnage in the first part of this match. Um, Charlie Haas uh, tries to climb the ladder first, but Matt hits him with an electric chair slam. The Hardys climb up, but Shelton throws a ladder at them and they fall off. Uh, Hardys hip toss them both onto ladders. We end up on the outside. Matt and Jeff get these two huge ladders from up higher up on the, on the ramp. They set one of them up in between the barricade and the ring. They do an inside out suplex uh, from Charlie Haas onto that ladder that is suspended. And then Shelton gets back body dropped over the top rope to the outside. And he lands on the edge of the ladder, which had to fucking hurt his back a lot. Mm. Um <laughs> Haas, uh, we get in the ring, a bunch of moves happening uh, all in a row. Charlie Haas hits Jeff with a German superplex, which I love. Uh, Matt hits him in turn with a side effect. He climbs the ladder, but the world's greatest tag team dumps him off. Shelton kills Jeff with a fucking great-looking T-bone suplex. Uh, that was as good of a T-bone suplex as I've ever seen in my life. Um, this was the, the standout spot of the night, probably. Haas uh, sets up mats on a ladder that's gleaned up on the outside. Shelton climbs up a ladder in the ring. He does the Sammy Guevara, like, I'm crazy thing that he does when he's about <laughs> to do something just ridiculous off the top rope. And then he leaps off the ladder, out of the ring, onto Matt Hardy, uh, set up on this ladder. Uh, big spot. We all love people diving off ladders. It's always fun. Uh, back in the ring. So Matt is taken out. Jeff superplexes Charlie Haas off of a ladder. Uh, Jeff tries to climb the ladder. Shelton gets up. He tries to, I assume Shelton was trying to springboard back into the ring, like do the thing where he springboards back in the ring and like lands on the ladder. But he fucks up the springboard. He actually gets a decent save in because <laughs> he like tries to springboard in, basically immediately loses his balance. But kind of as he falls over, like flips over and kicks the ladder over. So like Jeff ends up falling off anyway, which is actually honestly pretty good save there by Shelton. Yeah. Um, like kind of probably got to where they would have ended up getting anyway. Um, Shelton climbs up, but uh, Matt hits him with a neck breaker. Everyone ends up climbing up ladders at the top. Uh, they... The Hardys push World's Greatest Tag Team off the ladders, uh, and Jeff jumps off the ladder, hits a swanton bomb on Charlie Haas, as Matt then climbs up and secures both the belts, and the Hardy Boys, very entertaining ladder match. 
retained the titles in 17 minutes and 17 seconds. Somehow in a match that featured the Hardys, Shelton Benjamin seemed like he was the most insane. Like the guy yeah. died seven times in that match. And every one of them was a must-watch spot. And you mentioned the T-Bone Suplex, too. Has there ever been a guy in WWE – there's a long list of this. But, like, I always think of Shelton Benjamin as the guy that's underappreciated. I think Xavier Woods now. But, like, Shelton could do anything in the ring you asked him to do. Had a natural charisma. Like, I do think his promo work was very hit up and down. But, like, him as himself, just walking out to the ring, had a charisma about him. The guy – Looked like a million bucks. He just seems like he's cool as hell. Uh, but I always look at him. I'm like, man, they could have done so much more with Shelton Benjamin. That is, I, I think basically everyone will agree with you too. Like every single person who was, I mean, I being 12 years old, I watched Shelton then and being like, my God, this guy fucking rocks. So like, this cool. guy is just so much fun to watch. He's obviously just a freak of nature athlete and he could do anything. And has like the combination of being just a freak of nature athlete who can do like cool high risk aerial stuff, but while also being like the guy who was a division one wrestler, he has like the shooter background, the shooter bona fides, and like mm-hmm. that style. He is one of the coolest fucking in ring talents to come out of the last 20 years and has never really gotten his due. He's never gotten that like that push and that like spotlight to go out there and just really have like the kinds of bangers that you knew that he was capable of. Obviously now I think it's too late to be like Shelton Benjamin world champion, especially with how like their, their title situation is, but give me like one last Shelton. I see title run or us title run where he just has banger after banger every week. Like, yeah, I, he, I, I obviously he's older now, but like the guy still knows how to work. I, I, I do miss prime Shelton though. A lot there. Hardys love the side effect, love everything that they do. They're just so fat. Like them as a tag team is their highest potential. Obviously, we had uh, WWE champion Jeff. We've had Matt go on like these wild expeditions, but the Hardys as a tag team just oh, like they go another level. It really is just nuts. And also, the last thing that I have to say, and we've mentioned that I had them before, but the absolute chutzpah to call yourself the world's greatest tag team, man. Just love that gimmick. So good. Well- it's great, but it's also like they were so good that like I don't know, I, I wasn't arguing with them, you know what I mean? Like especially at that time like we 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 are living through like kind of a revitalization of tag team wrestling currently, um at least in the United States, which probably started in NXT like 5 6 years ago. But like back then, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of there weren't a whole lot of great tag teams. Uh, especially when they were having that like team angle run. Um, it was kind of past the like peak of like edge and Christian and, mm-hmm. and like parties that you really had. So like, you know, those guys were so fucking good. Those guys were so talented that I was never going to argue with them. I also appreciate the layers of the game because you could say you're the world's greatest tag team. And then when you lose, it's like, Oh, we weren't taking it seriously. Like that's how you play it off. Every time you want to stay at the top of the thing. You say, well, yeah, we're the world's greatest tag team. The only time we lose is because we just stopped trying. Well, yeah, they literally have like a, a, a vignette later on that we'll get to where Shelton's like, yeah, you only beat us because it's a fucking stupid gimmick match. <laughs> and then they like start fighting, which I thought was funny. Um, next up, we have a, well, yeah, fucking Shelton. We, we just got to pay respect to Shelton. 
he's he, he's going to end up being like one of the great like lost fucking superstar talents of all time, mm-hmm. uh, which is a shame. Next up, we get uh, Great Kali speaking in a in a, I, I don't I know what language. Pun- I believe it's Poon. Is, is he because I'm assuming if he's going by the Punjabi Playboy, he's Punjab, but it's also WWE, so it could be wrong. Yeah, I, speaking uh, giving a promo in a language that I'm assuming is Punjabi, but I actually don't know. Um, he said, like, his manager had zero charisma. Absolutely not. His manager none. looked ridiculous. Uh, his jabroni translator is, who uh, looks like he has this like ridiculous wig. I don't know what the fuck that was. Toupee. Um, he, he's, he's, he's translating for Kali. He's saying that Kali, who is challenging for the WWE title tonight, he is going to be going back soon to Punjab to celebrate as champion because he is the most famous and decorated athlete in all of India. And then Kali... After, at the end of this translation, just yells, uh, John Cena, I beg you. I don't know what he's begging John Cena for. I, I, think, he's, I think I break you. I thought he said beg. And I'm pretty sure the... the um, Closed captioning? The, the closed captioning said beg also. So he might have mm. said break, but it sounded like beg. And I want to know what he's begging John Cena for. Can we talk about his hands? Dude's got oh, massive hands. Biggest fucking pair of pair of meat hooks I've ever seen in my life. Holy shit. He what looks a, a little like Von Wagner, too. Von <laughs> <laughs> Wagner. The white Kali. Been saying it for years. People have been saying it for years about Kali. Uh, he works better Von than Wagner. Kali, I'll say that. He's the, he's the white Kali. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kali, just a... I mean, we were talking about earlier about guys who are, like, legitimately that big. Uh, Kali is probably one of the better wrestlers of that size. Yeah. And that tells you a lot. Yeah. Uh, I was going to mention that when we got to him, but yeah, Kali as a worker, still not good, but man, at least it's more believable. Well, at, at the very least, Kali was memorable. People really remember Kali at a high level, uh, which I guess you can do worse because there's a lot of shit from back here that is very easy to forget, but people remember Kali, even though it was bad, people remember Kali. Because he was just such a freak show. Like, he was so, like, just impossibly large. Like, this is the largest man you've ever seen in your life. Next up, we have a Lumberjack match, uh, which we talked about the uh, final pay-per-view appearance of Chris Benoit is right here. He is one of the Lumberjacks for this match, the last time that this legendary wrestler will appear in the flesh on a pay-per-view show. Of course, he would die about three weeks later. Um, the lumberjacks they actually like give the lumberjacks all like entrances a little bit, which is I feel like you don't usually see that. They all kind of get staggered out. Why is Kevin so Thorne dressed like future Matt Hardy? Who Kevin Thorne? Yes, yeah, he just had that weird vampire gimmick. He, I, but like you know. that, but I swear to God that like Matt Hardy has that same jacket. Yeah, Matt Hardy was wearing like the same style jacket when he was doing the broken Matt gimmick. That is true. Uh, maybe also, broken. Dice- maybe a broken Kevin Thorne gimmick would have actually gotten him over. Also, Dykstra's got a stuffed fox. Yes, Dykstra does come out with what appears to be a fox or, or a fox pelt, I guess, or a raccoon. I couldn't tell. I think it was a fox. But the Lumberjacks introduced in order: Chris Benoit, Val Venus, uh, Santino Morella, Balls Mahoney, R.I.P. Stevie Richards, The Miz, Kevin Thorne. Chris Masters, Johnny Nitro, Chavo Guerrero, Kenny Dykstra, who, as we said, appears to be wearing some sort of pelt, and Carlito. 
who does not spit in anyone's face tonight. And it is a lumberjack match between Mark Henry and Kane, which, boy, that's going to be a winner. Uh, this match sucks. It's very <laughs> slow. It's very, it's basically just slow punching back and forth for most of it. Um, and Henry, early on, he gets tossed out and beats up all the lumberjacks. So, and all the lumberjacks, you know, when Henry and Kane are fighting on the outside, they're like afraid to get in there because the, they're, these two guys are so big. Uh, so the stipulation of the lumberjack match is basically rendered useless immediately. Yep. Um, but it's a lot of slow punching. Henry wears down the back with a bear hug. Uh, Kane goes for the choke slam, but he's selling the back. He can't get him up. Uh, it gets put back into the bear hug. Uh, eventually Kane's able to toss Henry out and escape. He jumps up, he, he jumps off the top rope onto Mark Henry and a bunch of lumberjacks on the outside, uh, hits a diving clothesline off the top rope, goes for the choke slam, hits the choke slam. But for some reason that's never really elaborated upon Kenny Dykstra and Chavo Guerrero take it upon themselves to, to save Mark Henry and break up the pin. Uh, he gets rid of Kenny and Chavez is both packing, but that allows Mark Henry to get him back in the bear hug and Kane who's supposed to be unkillable fire demon uh, is loses this match via technical submission is, is rendered unconscious by the bear hug. Very rare that you'll see a bear hug finish in the 21st century. But uh, Mark Henry does his best Ivan Koloff impression and wins the match with the bear hug in nine minutes and seven seconds. I can understand why they did it. Does not mean it, they should have done because, like, you can accomplish the same thing as Mark Henry winning with the basic World Strongest Slam. Like, it's the same shit. It's it, him winning by bear hug while unique in the worst ways, uh, and looks unique in the worst ways. Uh, shows how strong he is. Just let him do the flipping World Strongest Slam with a shit ton of impact, and that. That yeah, this is the same thing. Like, yeah, why are we overthinking you have this? Lifting up this giant fucking freak Kane, who's a huge monster, and hitting him with the world's strongest slam, and watching the ring bounce and shake as he kills him with the world's strongest slam. Because Mark Henry is strong enough to do that to literally any person alive. He could have probably done it to Andre the Giant. You know, mm -hmm. like that that would work just as well, and actually much better than this finish. Yes, because no one gets makes no sense. God bless Kane, though. Dude sells the back as well as anyone could. Uh, he okay. sells his ass off the entire match. God bless Kane. This is when Kane, you know, still was a great seller. I know mid to mid twenty teens Kane fell out of favor for me because like he he was very, very much more rigid. But like this Kane was just again neck otherworldly when it comes to selling and being a big guy. Oh yeah, I'm Kane really Kane as like a pure big man wrestler, way up there. I mean, legitimately, in terms of, like, just being a big man, just very fucking, like, you know, you're not going to find, like, a lot of, like, oh, yeah, Kane was in this, like, five-star match. You know, there's not a whole lot of those. But, like, very rarely was he in there with somebody and, like, just couldn't hang. You know what I mean? Like, he could hang at, at a high level. Uh, I'm really glad you mentioned the Dexter Chavo thing because that made, like, I was confused, too. Did not know why that was going on. But the highlight of this match, easily is Michael Cole saying that Mark Henry is thick. He is very thick. I mean, if you are looking up thick in the dictionary, you better fucking see a picture of uh, Mark Henry. I also strive to be as happy as Mark Henry when he says it's time for the main event on Rampage. 
Yes. I, I saw somebody say like, whatever they're paying Mark Henry is, is worth it just for the, it's time for the main event line. It's time for the main event. Looks like we've had enough talk. I love that. It's such a like, good, it, it's good. Line. It's corny, I but love I love that. it. I, I like Mark Henry all time, like just positive rating. Like we'll never think bad about that man. No, I, I mean, like I, I, I would call myself a Mark Henry fan, even though like, yeah, he was only, he, he like wrestled for like 25 years and was only good for like two of them. Yeah. <laughs> but I still love Mark Henry. <laughs> but like he, he's in that same vein as Kali where like you just look at him and you're like, holy shit, that is a human being that exists. Yeah. Just like an unbelievably massive man. Like you cannot even fucking like, you cannot even conceive of how large and how strong this man is. Like. I'm pretty sure some of his like powerlifting le- records like still stand today, like like 30 years later or whatever it is. You know, like this is just like one of the most unfathomable people that has ever been created by God. He's one of the few people that can claim he's probably about as wide as he is tall, but you're terrified of him. Oh, I mean, like this guy, like yeah, I mean, like the the idea that he was like the world's strongest man. Like, I don't think he ever actually competed in strongman competitions. But, like, he probably legitimately was, like, the world's strongest man or, like, one of the world's strongest men. Like, that's not actually, like, you know, there's, there's plenty compete of, like, in strongman competitions. There's plenty of, like, kayfabe, like, like, kayfabe fucking, like, nicknames like that. But that was actually kind of real. <laughs> like, the best Mark Henry story, I think I've mentioned this one before, is, like, the, the cage match where he was supposed to rip the chain off the door and they forgot to gimmick the chain. So he had to actually, like, physically rip this, like, legitimately like legitimate fucking chain off the door and actually did it uh like he he so he's competed in the junior weightlifting championships olympic festival championships american open championships well no like the he's done all the different weightlifting and powerlifting shit yeah. but i don't think he's done like like world's strongest man shit like i don't know if that's that, that's like a completely different thing he did the american uh arnold strongman classic in 02 and came in first place so this is ah, like during I his career, during his wrestling career uh, something called Marplata. Uh, he looks like he medaled in each of those. I don't know exactly how weightlifting competitions work, but like 95 powerlifting championship, first place, first place. Like he's got a lot of first places. Like if he's meddling, he's getting first place. Yeah. Yeah. He did win the Arnold Strongman Classic, which is like a like a strongman type event. But like that's like a completely different thing than like weightlifting. Uh, Apparently he briefly yeah. went by Mark Swoggle. Uh, this must have been some kind of some kind of joke, some kind of joke deal. Uh, I don't know. I'll get back to you. Let yeah. me get research on it. Yeah, you you do that. You you do the Mark Swoggle thing because I don't remember this. Uh, next up, yeah, we love Mark Henry. Next up, we have this little vignette in the back. Mentioned this already. World's greatest tag team and the Hardy Boys are bickering at each other. Like after this match, they're both in the same uh, like training room, getting worked on. And uh, they start talking shit. I hear Shelton say, like, yeah, that never would have happened in the NCAAs. <laughs> it's like, yeah. They <laughs> <laughs> don't let you jump off ladders in the NCAAs, my dude. Dude, would, you're the one doing the most of it. <laughs> I, think the, I think the fucking uh, NCAA wrestling championships would get much higher ratings if they did let you do that. Um, and then they end up fighting in this training room. So that uh, feud will continue which I would not be complaining about at all because that match was a lot of fun. Next up, one of the feature bouts of the evening 
it is ECW champion Vince McMahon, which is just like, you know, Vince loves to fucking flex about how he won the Monday Night Wars and him, him making himself the ECW champion walking around with that belt is one of the biggest flexes. But it's also like one of the weakest ones because like ECW like like was like basically never profitable. It was like barely above being a fucking indie company for like <laughs> most of its existence. And it was like, congrats, Vince McMahon. Yes, you beat the fucking promotion that couldn't pay its fucking wrestlers for like at least half of its existence. Good fucking job, buddy. You really did it. You put him out of business. Thank you. Good shit, buddy. Uh, but yeah, Vince we remember him as do rag Vince in this period. And he was wearing the do rag. He doesn't actually wear the do rag tonight, uh, which is very unfortunate, but do rag Vince is one of the most powerful looks ever conceived of up there with Kangol hat, Daniel Garcia for most powerful <laughs> looks in wrestling history. Uh, he is accompanied to the ring by his son, Shane and the Samoan bulldozer, the late great Umaga. I miss Umaga, man. Fucking just a freak of nature talent. What a fucking, what a rare human being he was. I miss him so Those much. damn Samoans. The guy is just, was just not normal. He just he was, was just genetically different from every other person who existed on earth. Um, he is taking on Bobby Lashley. Uh, <laughs> this match starts out in a hilarious way. So it's like he faces off with Vince He's got Umaga on the outside. I think it's Vincent Shaner in the ring and Umaga standing on the outside. And Lashley instantly is like, this This would have been a hot fucking beginning had they not fucked it up. Because Lashley like stares him down and immediately bolts over to try and do like a huge running plancha to the outside and, and take, La- take Umaga out on the floor. But he fucks it up. One of his feet hits the top rope and he completely topples over. <laughs> the floor does not get to umaga he splats on the ground umaga still falls over and sells that he got hit but it is just like oh no it's like the flattest fucking like if he had hit that it would have been really cool but instead it is like one of the flattest beginnings to a match i've ever seen he just completely eats shit here uh not that i could do that so i'm not gonna judge him but like Safe it sound not work on the ground here. <laughs> I am a safe and sound feet on the ground t- type wrestler myself. Uh, but, you know, hey, it it would have been cool had it worked out. Um, Lashley gets back into the ring. Uh, Shane and Vince two on one him for a while. But then Lashley comes back, just starts beating everyone's ass. Eventually, the numbers catch up uh, and they beat him up three on one. As Umaga gets back in the ring, Shane DDTs him onto a chair. Umaga hits the big Samoan drop. He had one of the best Samoan drops ever. But Lashley kicks out. Um, uh, he kicks out of one of the worst looking spears in history from Vince McMahon. Um, he like lines up in a three point stance. I don't think Vince McMahon ever played football. Maybe he did in like high school, but uh, he, he lines up in a three point stance and does the shittiest looking spear ever. Uh, and Umaga or Lashley kicks out of that. Um, the McMahons lay Lashley out and are holding on to him for Umaga to hit the running splash, but Lashley dodges out of the way and doing so pulls Vince in the way. Vince gets splashed on. Lashley gets this legitimately very good, very explosive comeback that features him, uh, belly to bellying uh, Shane from the ring to the floor, hitting Vince in the head with a chair. He hits Vince nine, I counted nine consecutive times with the chair, in the process, denting the chair on Vince's head. 
He hits Vince with the Dominator Power Slam, which was his finish at the time, but Umaga pulls Vince out of the ring as he goes to the chair. Uh, he tries to hit Umaga with a chair on the floor, but Umaga super kicks him. And then one of the big spots of the night, Shane, classic Shane, diving elbow drop off the top rope to the outside through the announce table. We all love it. They throw Lashley into the ring. He tries to go for the pin, but he kicks out. Shane goes for the coast-to-coast, but misses as Lashley gets out of the way. Shane hits. Uh, Shane eats a spear, and then Lashley hits a spear on Vince, and he gets the pin, Lashley does, on Vince to win the title. 12 minutes and 23 seconds, this young super superstar, Bobby Lashley, wins his, technically his first world championship right here in the ECW title. I'm just going to say this. They ran this match back three times. We've we've actually seen this exact match before uh, yeah. on the show. Like, it's fine. It makes sense. I understand why Vince is doing it. I understand why the like how it's built this way. But they ran it back three times all the same way with very yeah. little variation other than this time Bobby wins. Uh, it's good for Bobby. Dominator super cool. Guy, again, looks every little bit like a world champ. My man, Bobby. Lashley. My man. Bobby uh, Lashley. But yeah, like this was just like, you know, I don't have a lot for this match because we saw it before and there's nothing else to really write home about other than like Bobby finally getting one up on Vince. Also, we had some yeah. breaking news related to Shelton Benjamin. What is it? Perf Shelton Benjamin. This is from his Twitter. For only the second time in my career, an injury has put me on the shelf. So Shelty's out with injury. Oh, man. Well, not that you could tell because he's never on fucking TV anyway. No, it's funny, though. I'm scrolling through like the mentions here and you know how there's like Twitter trolls who like laugh at people no matter what the situation is. There is not a single like troll comment underneath Shelton's uh, post. Guys universally loved. Yeah. Because why? How? How could you fucking troll Shelton Benjamin? Like. He's just the fucking, he, everyone loves him. He's great at wrestling and he, everyone likes him. So like, you know, he's like, what are you going to, what are you going to fucking troll him on? You know, what are you going to talk? What are you going to, if you met, if you met Shelton Benjamin and you were like, I'm going to talk shit about Shelton Benjamin. What would you talk shit to Shelton Benjamin about? Ha, you, you, you still made millions of dollars wrestling despite never being a world champion. Yeah. It's like, oh, like. Yeah, you never got like, yeah, you never got like a huge push. It's like, well, he's still one of the fucking best wrestlers like of his fucking era and everyone loves him. So like, okay, whatever, you know, in fact, he gets more cred because like he's now like the underdog, like kind of underground hero, you know, he's too good for a title. Yeah, you know. Whoever, a hypothetical person who would talk shit to Shelton Benjamin, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Imaginary person, I hate you. Next up, you know what? Shelton Benjamin is probably not going to end up in any WWE Hall of Fame, but maybe he would have if he was in a pudding match. Uh, for some reason, we have Maria Kanellis getting interviewed about the upcoming pudding match, even though she's not in the match. And, like, they kind of do the, like, sort of It was of kind like, of funny. It was, like... You know, she's supposed to be like the complete like ditzy moron. And then she starts like, they're like Todd Grisham, like interviews her about the pudding match. And she starts talking about like, well, it's going to defend on the on the viscosity of the pudding. <laughs> <laughs> All these big words. Definition of using big words to sound smart. But it was funny. Yeah. Well, it's like I, it, it just reminded me a little bit of the um the fucking like the you remember the Orange Cassidy, like Chris Jericho debate. Yes. Where it was like. uh <laughs> 
where like Orange Cassidy doesn't say anything the whole time, and then they like ask him a question about global warming, and he starts like dropping all these fucking like stats and shit. <laughs> uh, it reminded me a little bit of that. God, that was a great feud. But then uh, she's like in storyline dating Santino, who's still like young baby face Santino. He hasn't like fully like become like like you know developed a comedy character yet. Um, and then uh, Candice Michelle, who is in the match. Uh, shows up trying to hit on Santino. Uh, and then Maria ends up like kissing Candace. Santino's horny. And then Ron Simmons shows up and we get a very horny damn from Ron Simmons. <laughs> oh, horny. <laughs> it's, not like a, it's not like a damn. It's more like a damn, you know? Always <laughs> 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 the concept of a horny damn. There's a. There's it's a, a horny. It's, it, it, don't tell me that's not a horny damn. <laughs> it was a horny. It was a horny damn. I will never, I will never turn down a Ron Simmons dam. I will never, I will never say no to a Ron, Ron Simmons dam, no matter the horny quotient of the dam. Uh, next up, yeah, it's Molina and Candice Michelle in a pudding match. This is kind of the piss break spot. Down came um, down. Yeah, it's, they're, they're wrestling in an inflatable pool filled with pudding. Uh, they're in swimsuits. The idea is this will make you horny. Uh, and they're, they fight in the pudding. You can't even really call it. it. They're just fighting in the pudding. Eventually they end up outside the pudding. We get at one point what appears to be a pudding DDT, which I don't see how that's supposed to have any impact, but we get a DDT in the pudding. Um, and Candace starts drowning her in the pudding. <laughs> Which, like, obviously Molina taps out in the pudding to being, like, she's, like, legitimately holding her under the pudding trying to drown her. Because it's like, okay, tap out to this or you're going to die. Like, we're going to have the first, first in, like, first, like, in-ring death in WWE. And it's going to be in a pudding match. It's going to drown in the pudding. Um, And Candice Michelle gets the win by submission in the pudding match in two minutes and 55 seconds. Afterwards, Maria comes out. Uh, to start interviewing Candace, uh, and Molina starts throwing pudding on Maria, <laughs> and then she jumps on her into the pudding. Everyone ends up in the pudding, and then the ref also ends up in the pudding, just pudding everywhere. Just, that's, that's it. It's a pudding match, ladies and gentlemen. If you were playing the pudding drinking game while listening to this podcast, we apologize for you being dead now. <laughs> yeah. Take a drink every time I said pudding. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, first of all, this is this is how they're using the woman's champ. Uh, Melina and Melina loses as the women's champ in a pudding match. A non um, a non title pudding match. We must we must clarify that non title pudding I, match. I, I guess they went this route instead of like a mud wrestling thing. I I, I guess that was the rationale here. Um, King had a co- mention of condoms. I'm really glad I didn't catch the full context of it. Yeah, I also didn't catch that. I'm also glad I didn't. I didn't either. Um, uh, David, I, this is the only other thing I have here. Um. How many pudding packs do you think would have make in that pool? Like how much how much did they spend on pudding to make the full fill up that pool? There were there were gallons and gallons of pudding in that fucking inflatable pool. I mean a truly fucking huge amount of pudding. Um and yeah, I mean that's that's the real question. Like, how did they obtain that much pudding? What went into them getting that much pudding? Like that's that's actually a real real question that I have here. Like, where you're like, okay, we're doing a pudding match. We need to somehow source fucking like fifty gallons of pudding or whatever the fuck it was. Where am I going to get fifty gallons of pudding? You know, that's a commercial ad spot. Like, that's commercial ad revenue that they could have done. They could have like had this pudding match brought to you by 
who what's a pudding company? I forget that. I forget what like yeah. Uh, who does pudding? Who does the fucking like the pudding? Yeah, who does those pudding packs? Yeah, like, you know what I mean. You, you could have marketed that. Like, come on, that's a, Vince. You're a businessman. That's a lot. That that that's a lost opportunity right there. Brand awareness, terrible. They could have done a Danimals yogurt match. Boom, <laughs> easy. Gogurt yeah. match. Fucking yeah. Trick yogurt a, match. A gogurt match. Boom, easy. Fucking typical. You get you get. I mean, like AEW was way ahead of this when they did the Cracker Barrel brawl and they were using the barrels as uh fucking uh like weapons. Like Darby Allen yeah. did the fucking Cracker Barrel, like the the fucking uh the the coffin drop with the Cracker Barrel. It was that, him, Sammy, and then uh who's the dude that the guy got that got canceled? Jimmy Havoc. Havoc, there it is. And uh, Joey Janela was in. Was it, it Janela? I thought it was Sammy. Janela was in it. I I just remember Joey. You're right. Darby, it was Joey. Jimmy Havoc. Jimmy Havoc was definitely in it. And there was a fourth person. I don't remember who it was, but it might have been Sammy Guevara. Might have been. Sammy. I don't remember, but it was crazy. But that is what we're talking about here. Pudding. Use the fucking branding in your in your show. Whoever whoever provided them with the pudding, huge missed opportunity. So, and that's that is why I don't know your fucking company, dude. Uh, next up, the cage comes down. It is time for the World Heavyweight Championship match. It is steel cage uh, match. Edge defending the title against. Batista, two of the biggest stars in the company at the time. Uh, and, you know, what? what is my biggest pet peeve about WWE cage matches? The fucking door! Instantly, Edge tries to scramble for the door, and they fucking open up the door for him. Uh, and this is a match that ends up with the, the door getting involved. Hate the fucking door. But Edge instantly scrambles for the door. Batista stops him. Edge is really just trying to do whatever he can to escape. Batista keeps catching him. And, you know, Batista really beats him up for most of the first part of this match. Um, Batista then tries to climb out, but Edge is able to catch him. Drop kicks him in the knee, takes over for a while. He really attacks the the leg of Batista for a lot of this match. Um, Edge hits a really good-looking, like, anti-air drop kick. Uh, We have a spot where they both kind of uh, spear shoulder tackle each other at the same side. They go down afterwards. uh, Batista has a comeback. Hits the swinging side slam, like the black hole slam for a two count. Um, Slingshots him into the cage, into a roll up for a big near fall. Uh, Batista gets thrown off the cage, turns around into a spear, kicks out of the spear. So Batista ends up kicking out of the uh, edge's finisher. Uh, Batista then hits a spine buster off the cage, goes for a Batista bomb. Uh, You uh, see Edge's entire ass when he picks him up for the Batista bomb. He kind of pulls his trunks down. Edge thong. We see Edge. Edge is wearing a fucking thong underneath his trunks. Um, So you basically see much of of Edge's surface area of his ass, uh, but he's able to get out of it, maneuver his way over to the cage, try and climb over. Uh, Edge uh, hits him in the nuts a couple of times to open the way for him to try to escape. And we end up getting this like double escape finish where it's they're both going to try and uh, climb out. Edge trying to climb out over the top at the same time as Batista trying to climb out through the door. Whose feet are going to touch first? Edge. Edge lands over the side and, and goes over the side and lands on the floor first as Batista trying to climb out. And Edge retains the title 15 minutes. 39 seconds, uh, and afterwards, Edge runs away from Batista off into the crowd, even leaving behind the belts. 
Uh, he doesn't even take the belt with him as he sprints away to escape from Batista. And uh, yeah, that's it. Steel cage match based around the escape. Don't love that, to be honest with you, because I hate the door. Yeah, I will say this, though. This was a good use of the door in terms of like a tease of, you know, it could go either way. I didn't like that. They started off with the cage door being open. I think that's cheesy. Like, I I wish there was logic to the door. I think if they made logic to the door, there would be sense other than open the door. Just tell them they got to open the door. I think that's stupid. You literally have a referee on the outside opening the door for you, like, after you, sir. No, what the fuck? That doesn't make any fucking sense. There should be a challenge. Like, if you can break out of the door, you know, it's like the door should be padlocked. And if you can break, if you can break through that padlock and, like, then kick out the door and, and make it to the floor, okay, fucking by all means. Good shit. You know, congrats. Oh, Mr. Kennedy, what could have been? Uh... God, that guy was money. Uh, the cutting ed- Remember the Cutting Edge uh, video segments? Of course. Oh, my God. I miss Cutting Edge. Uh, it's This is a fun match, though. Like, you have Edge being the chicken shit heel that he is. Just, like, kind of, like, ultimate fake tough guy saying that he's better than everyone who's secretly afraid of Batista. Batista being, like, just a war animal on a rampage path until he gets his title. Like, uh, that was the thing I always liked about Batista is that even though his character was just big guy who wants title, it was always just like spot on for him because it was always just like he is big man who wants title. That's it. That's all he needs. Uh, so it's kind of fun with, to see that play out. I do enjoy the fact that like you get those moments like Edge never has a moment while he's wrestling where he looks like he's comfortable and in command of Batista. So in that way, it's really good. This is also a really weird time, too, because I remember this Edge run. And like Batista being like, yeah, I want Batista to be champion. I want Batista to be champion. And they do it really weird because they have this match where, you know, Edge wins. And then he wins by count out in a last chance match at Vengeance. And so that's it for like the Batista world title hunt until Edge drops the belt. So kind of weird with that. Uh, I will yeah. say, though, throughout this match, I will cede your point from last week. This version of early JBL on the comms, very loud, very obnoxious and very preachy. I think he gets better like in the early 20 teens, but like early JBL is just not helping this match in any, any right. Solid finish. The low blows to win. Good. Edge kind of still being a chicken shit heel. Leaving the title was a nice touch. Uh, good match. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I you know, I, 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 I will say this. I am not a huge steel cage match guy. I just feel like. I've seen so many of them that I, a lot of them are kind of the same to me. And they, this one sticks out. It's just not like a stipulation that feels super special to me anymore. Like, and that's just, that's just me. I mean, I'm sure that's, it's different for other people. It's me being just some fucking jaded guy who watches a shitload of wrestling. No, they do. They overplay the steel cage a ton. You know, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge steel cage match guy, even though like it's, it's a stipulation that like there are plenty of great ones in history and like it, often is entertaining but like a steel cage match for like you know and i think that escaping the cage there's some people who are like completely against the idea of escaping the cage being a valid way to win a, a steel cage match i disagree with that but i don't love steel cage matches i i think steel i think escaping the cage should be you know a way to win the match but mm-hmm. i i don't like steel cage matches where the whole thing revolves around both guys trying to escape you know what I mean? Especially when one of those guys is Batista. 
One of them is fucking Batista. Batista should be the guy. Like, I don't want to see Batista trying to escape. I want to see Batista. He's the fucking animal. I want to see Batista trying to kill Edge in there. I want to see Batista trying to literally murder Edge in this cage. Like every 12-year-old wanted him wanting. to. I'm left wanting there. So, I don't know. I do love Batista. I love Edge. I love this combo of guys. This one just doesn't really hit for me. It's because of the way they structured the match. Just, I don't know. It leaves me wanting a lot more. Well, speaking of wanting a lot more, <laughs> this is our main event. It is John Cena, Great Khali, Falls Count Anywhere, WWE title. Typical 2007 women and children Cena pop. A uh, very high-pitched pop because those were the only people cheering for him at this time. Uh, Great Khali coming in. Uh, they're, they're boasting that he has never been pinned. And at that point, WWE, it might've been true. I don't remember. Um, and this is of course a match where you're not going to win by, uh, or, or you, you have to, you have to pin the other guy to win the match. So can John Cena pin great Kali, uh, Kali, uh, basically like for, for most of the first part of this match, like Cena is just selling all over everywhere. For Kali, trying to trying his best to make it look like Kali is actually moving around, um, like <laughs> uh, Kali getting very slow heat on him, and Cena is just flopping around everywhere, doing his best, really, really here for Kali. Selling his ass uh, off, honestly. Yeah, uh, Kali at one point knocks him off the turnbuckle and he flops to the floor like a fish. Uh, Cena fights back on the floor for a little bit, but then accidentally. I thought this was kind of a weird spot. Like he tries to drop kick Kali on the floor, misses, and he like drop kicks the stairs, and this like completely takes him out. Uh, I feel like drop kicking the stairs isn't like that's not going to kill you, but like I don't know. Like he sells that that was like a big thing, and he continues to sell and sell. Um, they end up fighting into the crowd. Kali slams him into the on table, tosses him over the barricade. They end up fighting in the crowd. Um, make their way over to like a kind of, you know, camera equipment area. Cena hits him with a monitor, throw, uh, throws a camera into him, like one of those like swinging cameras, um, teases the FU on the floor, but Kali's able to fight him off. Kali throws him onto a crane that was like part of the stage setup. Um, they fight on the crane. Cena, of course, freakishly strong, especially a, a younger Cena, which is freakishly fucking strong, is able to get this massive fucking man up onto his shoulders and FU's Kali off the crane onto the floor and ends up getting the pin on Kali and retaining the belt in 10 minutes and 30 seconds. Not a really a whole lot to this match, but in this era where it felt like a lot of like how they were trying to get Cena over was like, having him do these like incredible freakish feats of strength. The finish is very impressive. Yes. Um, I want to talk a lot about Kali cause he's not a guy who gets featured a lot. Like he is a, his career is forgettable, like very, very forgettable. Like he debuts really hot. He beats the undertaker. He gets into this WWE title uh, situation and it does make sense. Like not like once you get past the veil, if you are just a casual person or a kid that just thinks about this in terms of like real life, quote unquote, Kali being seven foot four and a massive human being who honestly looks better than a lot of other giants, not just from his work, but like you think of Andre in his like high of his career, kind of like has a, he's got a gut, like younger Andre, a little bit skinnier, 
But like when I think of like Andre Hogan, he's a little bit girthier in the middle. Um, big show, a little bit girthy in the middle. Uh, this was another big guy in, in a different way, big in the middle. Kali has these massive freaking shoulders, these giant pecs, these huge arms and massive hands. And like, yeah, you could tell that he can barely walk. Definitely hurts when you're a wrestler and a, or a, a projected athlete and you can barely move. But the I guy would say that that's a, that's going to hold you back. The guy you know? looks like, um, like he looks shred, like shredded as far as you can get when you're seven, four and that massive. Like he looks like he's another species almost again. The hands, I go back to the hands because his manager is a regularly normal size guy. And you have the microphone. You always see every WWE guy with one of these WWE microphones. And his hand literally engulfs the entire thing. It's insane. He, he's a spectacle. Um, and yeah, his work is not going to be great. Cena get, deserves a shit ton of credit for making this match feel important. And like in terms of like back then, at least in terms of storyline, make you feel like it can go either way. Like. If Kali had won this match, I would not have been surprised. And like a lot of that, I think, goes to Cena kind of talking up how much of a challenge Kali is and just Kali, you know, having that look and being so intimidating. Uh, the FU, though, man, is just incredible to see someone that is literally about twice Cena's size or at least looks twice Cena's size just go over the crane. Really cool spot. I don't think it needed to be the main event. I think you could have done this as like switch this with Edge and Batista and let Edge and Batista kind of work a little bit f- faster. I know you're still trying to like make Cena the big thing, but I don't know. I think logistically you switch them around, you get better results for Edge Batista because you could have still done the same match before Edge Batista and it would be on the same response. It's not like ending on that FU is a huge thing, but for what it had, this was the best possible match we could have gotten between these two guys. Yeah, I mean, the best you were going to get out of Kali uh, was, like, kind of a spectacle match like this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I, this guy is absolutely fucking massive. Like, just, again, as you said, massive in a way that almost doesn't physically make sense. Like, when you see guys this tall, like, they base, they, they really tend to be leaner. You know, I would mm-hmm. usually see t- guys this tall. It's almost always in the NBA. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this guy is like built like a fucking bodybuilder. It's like insane how large he is. Um, so he was always going to be impressive, always going to be memorable because of that just pure size. But as a wrestler, I mean, like the best that you can do with him is something like this. You know what I mean? Like he is being being this like big spectacle match where all you're going to get, like you're going to get kind of like an impressive finish and you'll use some weapons and you'll stomp around ringside and just, you know, try to put over that he's this huge threat. And that's what we do get. So it's like, yeah, I feel like this is because, you know, again, he's, he's a huge guy who can't move, you know, He's not going to be able to execute anything that requires him moving faster than like a slightly brisk walk. You're not Irish whipping Kali, that's for sure. Well, I mean, even if <laughs> even if you even if he could run, like who's going to Irish whip him? You that know, was what the, I mean? he's that strong was enough the, to Irish whip him. That was the no funniest way. shit in like the WWE games is that Kali could sprint. And it was yeah. just something else to behold. 
Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, it was like a, a glimpse into a, a, a better universe where Kali could move, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's like, what are you going to get out of Kali that's going to be like watchable? Probably this. And I'm not going to say this match is great or anything, but I just, I guess I feel like it's the best they were going to get out of them. And like, that's fine. Oh. Like it's, it's not, it's not abhor- abhorrent. It's, it's not like, I can't believe I just watched this. I can't believe I spent 10 minutes watching this. I need to clean my eyes out with cloth. It's like, yeah, he can't work, but Cena is putting, putting everyone through the paces. Yeah. I, it's like, yeah, I have seen greater affronts to pro wrestling before than this, I suppose. You know what I mean? And like out of the whole great Kali main event run, which by and large sucked a lot, like pretty much all the way through sucked a lot because he wasn't a good wrestler. Uh, this was probably, I mean, this might've been the best match he had that whole time. I don't remember the uh, Taker Kali match, uh, buried alive match being a work rate classic. Oh God. Yeah. Remember that shit. It's, it's funny. Cause like, um, Kali, I, I do have to recommend some of Kali's like earlier work though, because he didn't start in WWE. He actually started in, he actually had a brief little run in new Japan when really? he was married, when he was several years younger than this. And I, you know, he his body broke down on him, but like when you watch him like five years before this in new Japan, he's actually like kind of athletic, you know what I mean? It's very That's weird. Terrifying. Like, he can move around. Like he like jumps over the ropes and shit. And it's like, you watch him and you're like, wait, 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 oh, wait, 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 Roll, wait, wait, wait. You're underselling that. He jumps over the ropes. Yes. There's like a full bandera into the ring. What he like the hops hell? over the ropes. And he actually like moves around, like physically moves and shit. And you're like, whoa, wait a fucking second here. Like, this is really interesting. And then obviously by the time he got to WWE, he was like completely broken down. He couldn't do anything anymore. But like, there there are a few like matches that you can find on the internet of like a young Kali or like a younger Kali before his body started to really fucking break down and, and became the guy that we remember in WWE. And there is like, like an alarming fluidity to how he moved for a guy that was that large. So generally terrifying. What might have been? What might have been? Instead, we got uh, this shit and it sucked. But this is, as as we said, I think maybe the best Kali match that we got, which is not saying much. Uh, and it's kind of like damning with faint praise in and of itself because this match isn't very good. But uh, it's. Hey, what, what the fuck else are you going to ask for here if you're going to put Kali in the main event? So that will be, uh, be it there. Uh, two and a half marks time. Angelo, start us off. Sure. I'm going to go with my half mark. It's actually going to the great Kali and other giants as a concept. Like, Kali's the guy we remember the most fondly. I think a lot of people, again, Kali is very memorable for even casual fans who don't watch anymore. Um, just because of how big he was. Like, he was like something... He was literally larger than life. The guy had a look. He was iconic. And yeah, his his matches were never going to be good. But every segment that he was in had a presence. And he was always super important. They always try and do that with other drags. Like, they're really trying with Omos. AEW just signed Satnam Singh, who, again, another very large man. We'll see how his work goes. Yeah. You're, you're, you're kind of grading on a curve with these guys. Because these are the guys who have been deemed... Uh, especially when you get to these over seven footers that aren't in the basketball world and basketball kind of like hoovers up a lot of these seven footers. Cause that's where you make the most money. 
And if you're like 6'8", 6'9", sometimes you're playing uh, left tackle in football because you can make more money there. Being a big guy, you're going to gravitate towards other sports because other sports are probably going to make you more money. And like wrestling, you you need to have the willingness to take these bumps. And not a lot of people are willing to take those bumps, especially like even though it's uh, staged, the Kali FU, uh, like you're putting a lot of trust in other people as a large man. I don't think that's something they do a lot. So I give credit to the guys in wrestling that do it because there's so limited amount of them and you have to kind of cherish them when you get it. Omos has potential. He's He looks cool. He's got a look. If he can figure out even how to work, 75% of what Kali was able to do, I think he's fine. Satnam Singh, we'll see. A lot of people say he sells better than any other giant in history. We'll see. But like having a giant guy who just stands out in a crowd no matter what, is always going to be marketable. So half mark to Kali and other giants. Uh, my negative one mark is just some of the dumbest shit. Vince death angle seeds, the pudding match, the lumberjack match interference, the lumberjack match finish. The fact that the lumberjacks did absolutely nothing in this match other than interfere with Chavo and Dykstra. Just who books this shit? It was so stupid. It's all dumb. Like I, I just, that's the worst thing wrestling can do is make you feel stupid for watching it. And I felt stupider watching it. And those parts particularly. Uh, And then my two marks is going to Shelton Benjamin like we've been talking about all day. Uh, Just willing to die. Like the guy died seven times that ladder match. He's got that charisma. He's got every move you could possibly want. And some that you don't see. Like how often do you ever see a T-bone suplex executed? You really don't. And so Benjamin, just fantastic worker. A guy who I really appreciate. Him him and Carlito are like forgotten guys that era. We're never going to forget them. But, like, those two dudes were great. And Shelton, just athleticism, man. Like, he was a real pro. He was a real amateur wrestler. Fantastic amateur career. And then, like, he goes to pro wrestling. And he, he doesn't really do the shoot stuff. He does a lot of pro wrestling stuff. It's not like he does a lot of, like, the Lesnar forearms or submissions. Like, he's doing high-flying things. He's doing these suplexes. Like, he's doing everything. It's really impressive. Like, the guy has range. And respect to Shelton Benjamin. Absolutely. This is a Shelton Benjamin respect space in which we only respect Shelton Benjamin and nobody else. We respect no one else here on this podcast except for Shelton. Uh, I am going to give a half mark to John Cena feats of strength. This was one of the things that they really leaned into during this point during his title reign where a lot of people were kind of rejecting him as the top guy, as a baby face. Uh, But you were reliably getting him facing off with these huge freaks. I remember him, you know, Kali, but then like, you know, he had a, I remember him like hitting an FU on Viscera one time. I remember him, you oh, know, God. doing shit to Umaga, you know, like they would pair him up with huge guys and just highlight how freakishly strong of a man he was. And you know what? Even though I was, I was booing John Cena just as much as everybody else, you would see him do stuff like that and just nod your head impressed because that guy really is an incredible freak of nature. Uh, is, is just how strong he was. It's very impressive. I mean, you know, Kali was, you know, w- when you're getting picked up in a fireman's carry like that, you're, you're posting a little bit. You're, you're trying to help the guy out. Uh, you're trying to be as light for him as possibly can. But there's only so much you can do when you're the great Kali. You know what I mean? Like, you got to have some fucking real power to be able to execute that move. So very impressive stuff from Cena. I'm going to give a negative one mark to the Lumberjack match. The concept, I can think of a couple good Lumberjack matches, but like 
Is there a gimmick match that's like relatively commonly used that has like a lower rate of being good than the lumberjack match? None. They're all. I, I've never had one that I've w- watched that I enjoyed. None. Like I'm. I'm sure I've seen a couple. I mean, I. I remember there being a really good Seth Rollins Dean Ambrose one in like 2014, like right after uh, Rollins turned heel was doing the Authority thing. Uh, I remember there being a good one there, but like by and large, lumberjack matches suck and historically have sucked for a long time. And this one's no different. I, I did not like this match at all. And I'm going to give my two marks to uh, Hardy ladders. When, when you put, when you put a Hardy in the same room as a ladder, it's going to hit 100% of the time still to this day. I mean, fuck the Jeff Hardy, Darby Allen match from a few days ago. Fucking crazy. They're still doing it to this day. If you put the Hardys in the same room as a ladder, you're going to get gold 100% of the time. That was the standout match of the night. It's just a, a great, uh, very entertaining match with a lot of fun shit mixed in. And the Hardys, pretty early in their in their second run after uh, Jeff showed up in WWE again, uh, just still pretty much in their prime, killing it. Shelton Benjamin, killing it. A lot of fun here. If you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a stipulation pay per view like the match a, 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 a pay per view where the whole point is you're gonna have stipulation matches the whole way through and the Hardys are on your roster, it's ladder time, motherfucker. We had a very fun match here. Last so, thing on Kali, this is the I, I'm looking through a profile database. I believe this is the highest singles match that he was a part of. Like highest rated? Yes. I would not. I, that doesn't surprise me at all doesn't surprise me at all again i think this is about as good of a Kali match that you could have had at this time so and again not that it's great but it doesn't make me want to jump out a window (laughs) which is enough speaking of jumping out a window so next up we'll head to our last order of business I'm going to spin the randomizer, see what we're going to be watching next week here on the pod. As I pull this up, Angelo, what are you looking for? I don't know, David. I just have this like weird, ominous feeling that whatever we get next is going to make me want to die. Oh, yeah? You got an ominous feeling, right? I do. Thinking that something really bad is going to happen. I do. Well. Well, um, I'm not sure if this is going to make me want to kill myself. Uh, we're going to be watching WWE from uh, 2005. We're sticking around the same kind of uh, same era, sort of. WWE 2005, Taboo Tuesday, November 1st of 05. Uh, main event, triple threat match, Cena, Angle, Shawn Michaels. Steel Cage match, Ric Flair and Triple H. Interesting stuff on this pot on this uh, on this coming podcast with this uh, next next deal. Uh, Taboo Tuesday 2005 when they're still doing the like vote online for the matches gimmick for that, and they, uh, and they, which, and which was undoubtedly like completely kayfabe. I don't know that for a fact, but it was totally kayfabe. So WWE Taboo Tuesday. I have low expectations here. Yeah, looking at the card, there's a couple things that are probably good. We get Rob Conway, though. Ooh, we get the con man? Is this going to be our first Conway? It might be second. Wasn't he with the French guys? 
He was. He was with La Resistance. That's true. We we must have had Conway with La Resistance. That would have been like the only time yeah. he would have been. He would have been there. But yeah, I'm looking yeah. through this. This does not look good. <laughs> this does not no, look I think good. It's made, again, I don't really remember any of this shit. This was like, I think, right before I started watching wrestling. I think this was like right around. No. Uh, yes, actually. This is like literally right as I started watching wrestling for the first time. Uh, and I don't really remember this. So I must have started watching like right after this. But it is Cena, Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels, triple threat match, main event. That sounds pretty good. Not going to lie. But yeah, next up, Taboo Tuesday 2005 here at Dune Outbox Podcast. So for my good friend, Angelo Inglisa, my name is David Stadman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.